Welcome to the Moms Connection at Friends Church. We are so glad that you're here. We all know how crazy life can be as a mom and that you aren't always able to make our scheduled meetings, but we don't want you to miss out on the fabulous speakers we bring to our group. So this year, we're hoping to make the recordings of each of the speakers available to you. Please keep in mind that we are learning as we go in terms of the technical aspects of doing this and can't promise that every week will work out, but we'll do our best to at least try. So this recording we're sharing today is actually from last year, and really it's a test to see if we can make this work. The speaker we're sharing is Becky White from February 5th, 2019, and she is funny and real and everything you'd hope for in a speaker. Her talk is inspired by Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. We hope you enjoy this new feature. Um, So she's just a blessing. She's like an eight-time All-American athlete, which I love, and uh, she's just a gift. Um, So welcome to the front, Becky White. I stand when the guy grabs me? Is that where? Is that the deal? Do I stand here? Is he 6'5"? Okay. I'm coming to that class. Holy cow. If you want this guy to grab you? It's like, is that a question? Is that a trick question? Barbara and I were like figuring out the age delineation of if he was like above 60, she was going to get him. I had 45 to 50 range. But if that boy's 6'5", I don't care how old he is. He's mine, Barbara. <laughs> All right. I'm so glad to be back with y'all. It is fun. I am, I am missing class right now, which is really fun. But I had my professor and his family over for a Super Bowl party, so I figured we're good. Um, <clears throat> I am attending Fuller these days in pursuit of a PhD in Old Testament, which means I'm learning Hebrew right now. I don't know what the deal is, but those are not letters, and they don't even make sounds I've ever made in my life. So um, I'm older than my professor and everyone in the class. Um, So I'm a full-time student in seminary, full-time counselor at Fellowship Church in Monrovia, soon to be in Pasadena as well. Am I making noise, Christy? Okay, good. Um, so I'm happy to be with you. I want to share a picture, a recent picture of my boys and their girls. Do we have it up here? Can we just say they're so cute? And I'm not even talking about my boys this time. Those girls are great, right? So I have four sons, and they're all grown and old. My oldest son over here on the far right-hand corner is Trevor and his wife, Laura. Uh, I had three weddings in a year. So this is nuts. Um, but luckily, I had sons, so all I gave to them was a really handsome young man and said, good luck with that wedding thing. (laughs) Um, So Trevor and his wife, Laura, are both therapists. They have private practices, both of them, in Seattle where everyone is depressed because it rains all the time. So they are making bank and they're doing well. Um, Next to them is Logan and Alyssa and my little grand dog, Riley, um, who I watch all the time. Logan is a pastor in Manhattan Beach and Alyssa is a nurse. And Riley is um, their dream. And it's, for me, it's like the pre-baby deal. So I'm just like, Riley's so cute. And you're doing such a good job caring for him. You seem so responsible. So anyway, 
they just bought a house in Torrance, and so they are um, loving Southern California. Then down over here is my newlyweds, Boone and Kelsey. Uh, Boone is a marketing director up in uh, Los Gatos, San Jose area, and his wife works for um, Best Buddies, which is a special needs organization, and she works out of San Francisco. And there, my newlyweds just got married in October, and then Cameron, my little model son over there, is my date every single week. Um, we go out, he is my special needs son, lives in a group home in Riverside, and is uh, my triplets, sorry, they're all three the same age from the dog one on down, um, so they're all 24, and Cameron is equivalent to about an 18-month-old, and he lives in Riverside, has had a tough go um, for the last three years, has been a tough season for him. Um, when you have profound disabilities, at 22 you leave the school system, and then you have the chance to opt into adult programs, none of which have allowed camp to stay a part of their program. So we continue to hope uh, before he turns 25 in June that we'll find a, a program for him. Otherwise, he kind of hangs out at home and then with his mom once a week. So really hoping that he can settle into that. But once a month, we meet uh, Logan and Alyssa at Disneyland, and we have a great time. Um, it's a problem for us when they change rides or when rides are closed down because Cameron knows exactly what ride he wants to go on first and then second and the route needs to be the same. Heaven forbid if a parade comes in. I mean, we just march right through the middle of it. And it's like, <laughs> y'all would be wise to let us go, Mickey Mouse. You just want to <laughs> just want to back off right now. <laughs> We're going to the Matterhorn. Um, so those are my guys. And um, they continue to be uh, this incredible gift to me, uh, both of what I've learned and what I get to enjoy. This is a great season. Some of you in this room are in the season I'm in of watching your children live their lives and thrive. Um, you look back over the season many of you are in as well. And uh, it looks a little different from this perspective. Um, I think that I've gained a lot of gratitude um, and I can't um, reiterate enough that y'all should reread the chapter Don shared with earlier because it does take a length of time to raise these kids. And I'm so grateful for that. It takes a ton of days to raise kids. And we're not good every day. And that's good news because you get to wake up the next day. That's bugging me. Is it bugging anybody out there? Sorry. If it's my earring, clothes, I'll just start taking stuff off. <laughs> Christy. Because that guy... I'm sure he's lurking somewhere. Okay. Speaking of which, we're going to pray and get really back focused on God. Uh, God, I do thank you for the opportunity to be with these women. God, as we talk about patience, it's just something, God, that feels like it's not natural to us. It feels like it's a learned trait. It's not a skill that we're born with. Um, it's a fruit of the Spirit which means it's ours to develop, it's ours to gain, and it's our responsibility to understand how we apply that gift to others, to ourselves, and ultimately, God, to you. So thank you for an opportunity on a rainy day to sit together as women and spend some time in your word thinking about who you are. In your name, amen. All right, thank you, thank you. Okay. Okay, thanks. If it doesn't bother you all, I'm just going to keep talking. Um, all right. Cameron, since he was very small, 
recognized that when the word amen was said, it meant something good was going to happen next. Typically, it happens um, at a mealtime. When we said amen, he finally got to eat. Or because he's annoyed, typically with people, when I said amen at bedtime, I left the room. So it was like Cameron learned early on, <clears throat> that was one of the first words he said was amen. Amen had a high priority to him. Amen meant whatever was happening would stop happening and he could do what he wanted. Um, and so he has said amen continually. As soon as someone starts praying for a meal, Cameron starts with amen, amen, amen. I mean really loud and very clear. It's one of his clearest words. He just says amen, because that means it's going to end. The teachers that he had were always so surprised. We'd come to an IEP and they'd say, Cameron says one word. I'm not sure what the word is, but I think it's amen. I said, that means he wants you to stop talking. <laughs> He wants to stop doing. They go, oh, it's like the end of a prayer. It's like he's constantly praying that prayer. Um, so anytime I was on the phone when he was young, anytime I was doing anything he didn't want me to be doing because he wanted me to do something for him, he would just walk up to me and say amen. And then um, somehow take me to what he wanted. He's, non, he's nonverbal, so he only has a few words, but amen is one of them. And he uses it to demonstrate the fact that he's ready for the next activity. If you don't respond to amen, he puts his hands in his ears and he begins to live in his own world. Uh, so whatever you're asking him to do, he'll say amen to. And whatever you ask him to do that he's not preferring, he'll just put his hands in his ears. And I look at him at those moments and I say, Cameron, I would give anything to be you right now. I would give anything to have the control of my simple world so I could basically say amen and whatever is not happening can start happening. Whatever is annoying would stop happening. Um, I would have that ultimate ability to control and never have to exercise patience. Because I don't care who you are, patience does not come naturally to you. No one has the spiritual gift of patience. No one is born with a patient personality. It's not a personality disorder. It's nothing to do with personality. It's to do with choices. Um, and this is going to be such a bummer for you today. Um, so just know... We are going to sit with this truth, um, and every one of us needs to leave here more patient than when we came in, and that is a skill we need to use across the board. I notice um, everything. I have one of those brains that is constantly moving. It's exhausting, which is why I make it learn Hebrew. Otherwise, it's going to look at Netflix all the time and like watch, again, the West Wing. Um, so... My brain has to be active, and if it's not active in a productive way, it's just going to be active churning. So patience does not come naturally to me. However, I had four sons, and I had triplets, and so patience was going to be something that had to become part of who I was. So it was a constant and is continually a constant set of choices that I have to make. Um, none of us gets to say amen and finish and start whatever we want to do. Um, but we can recognize internally how to change our attitude. I ran into a verse years ago in Ecclesiastes. It says, the end is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. That verse, I ran into that probably when my triplets were about 11, and it was the verse God most used over the next eight to 10 years of my life. Because patience is better than pride was such a clear comparison Love is patience, love is kind, love is not proud, it does not boast. So those words are used in terms of love. Other than that, those words are not always put. Pr 
pride and patience in the same verse very often. So I paid close attention to it. And when they were compared so directly, I couldn't help but understand then that when I'm being impatient, it means something in my pride is getting hurt. Another way to say that is when I'm being impatient with someone, I'm being arrogant. Um, None of that sounds fun. It sounds more fun to say, I have control of how my kids are acting and saying things because, you know, I'm the parents and I'm responsible and so they're going to stop doing that. Another way to say that is I have an arrogance and assumption that I have a right that does not necessarily exist. So when I want to start talking about being patient with others, I know a lot of it's going to, we're going to think about our kids, but I really want us to think across the board. We're going to have three categories, and here's the way I'd like to do today. Um, We've got about 50 minutes almost. What I'd love to do before you do your discussion is I'd love to break these three things down, and I'd love to invite questions throughout, if that's okay. Um, Let me get through the first section and just say, who's got a question about that? And feel free to throw one out, which means as you're taking notes, write down, I don't believe that. There's no way you don't know the situation. And then just let's talk about it together. So we'll try to get to a little deeper truth. If that's okay, we'll just run through. I'll give you opportunity for questions. If there's no questions, we'll just keep rolling. And we'll have a little time for questions at the end. Does that make sense? So that way, we won't just keep moving on. If you're like, I don't get that. I don't understand that. What about this situation? Um, But make sure your question is in the form of a tweet, not a blog. Does that make sense? Like short, (laughs) clear. Not an opportunity to say, I wish I was speaking right now, and here's another point that you might want to consider. Um, instead of that, let's just make it questions, if that's cool. Okay, um, patience with others. So if patience is better than pride, as I was driving my teenage boys home from school, let me just set the picture up for you here. They were both on the football team. Um, they were both usually mad. Um, they both always smelled bad. And I had the starting captain started both ways, star of the team, in my car, and I had the water boy in my car. And they happened to be the same age, and both alpha males. So you can imagine the conversation. Logan, my star player, was always hurt. Several times, even in practice, got the ambulance called because of whatever. And so Boone would be in the car like, oh, yeah, Logan got hot, so they had to call the ambulance. He was like sweating. And it was just like, oh, my goodness, the way they said it, too, was just like that. <clears throat> so as they were, we were driving home, and our house was a distance away from their high school, I would just be, I would get in the car, and I would say, hey, guys, how was your day? And they're like, oh, you know, grunting. And so they would start in on whatever frustration they were feeling. And I could just feel the tension rise. Not from them, because they were just kind of exploding, but it was me, just like the tension coming into my neck. When they got in the car, I was in a great mood. By the time we hit the first stoplight, I was just like, oh my word, are you serious? Um, And I could just feel the tension rising. And as I drove, that verse was coming to my mind, literally. It wasn't like God said, Becky. (laughs) No, it was just like, I need to write this on my steering wheel. Patience is better than pride. Patience is better than pride. Becky, what part of your pride is being hurt right now? Did you really believe that throughout your life you would have a quiet, calm, non-smelly car ride wherever you went? (laughs) Do you really believe that you have to require them to like each other at this moment? Do you really believe that you have to require them to be nice even to you at this moment? I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm talking about grunting and not wanting to talk right now. I'm talking about not loving the music that they necessarily want to play. I'm talking about just figuring out how to have a moment where I wasn't having to be in control. 
And it was okay if I didn't even have to talk, nor did they have to talk to me. Patience is better than pride, which means I want to let them come to me. If you have not heard me say this before, I say it every week when I'm sitting in sessions with people. Moms especially need to cut their words in half when kids reach about four years old because you are repeating yourself. Trust me, you're repeating yourself every single time. Um, when they hit nine, cut those words in half again. By the time, you should be mute by the time they're like 16. <laughs> There's just nothing you're going to say that they don't already know you believe and understand. And when you're not talking, they are. And it's a beautiful thing. When you don't try to talk, you are much more patient. Because our impatience comes when we're trying to get a word in that they really need to hear. Trust me, they will not hear that word at that moment. Below the patience, which means our behavior, below the behavior is another thing, another dynamic going on here. I learned this right away in grad school when I got my MFT. One of the first classes, my professor said, if you don't like the person on your couch, you can't help them. You cannot help someone you don't like. And I don't do this every week. I don't even do this every month. But every once in a while, I have to tweak my brain and say, Becky, will you stop it? It's like, I really don't like the person on my couch. They're so annoying. They're whining over things that are like not whinable. You know how you, every once in a while you're like, do you want to know what problems really are? Let me give you a list. <clears throat> so I'm in my mind actually having this conversation as I'm listening to this person and taking notes. It's not been anyone in this room. <laughs> Trust me, it's usually not even a woman. Trust me. Um, <clears throat> it's the guy that's going to come out in a minute. Um, so you can't help someone you don't like. And we have to call out, the reason we're impatient is we're not really thrilled with the people that are talking. We're not really thrilled with the people who are not listening. We're not really thrilled with the people <clears throat> who are not responding the way we want. We have to recognize, though we love everyone in our lives, we really do. We don't always like them. We don't like them. We find things wrong with them, and we might even judge them. Um, that there has no space for that. You have, to, you have to always anchor your lack of patience to pride. Pride believes that you have something better to say. You think something better. You know something better should be happening. But we don't know what we don't know in any given moment. We just don't. We don't understand that our kids, especially, are in a process. I read years ago this book, uh, Hannah Whitehall Smith, A Christian Secret to a Happy Life. She wrote it in 1873. She wrote that an apple in June is as pleasing to God as an apple in November, but you don't want to eat it. An apple in June is as pleasing to God as an apple in November, but you don't want to eat it. Your kids are in a process. Just like Don said, you are in a long conversation they are not going to get it because their kids, their brains are still forming. Their frontal lobe doesn't even close until they're 25, which means the piece of, it's like a pillow that surrounds a thought as it goes along this long road in their brain. The pillows that are supposed to surround it don't even surround it till they're 25, which means thoughts about those shoes, they start in a very good, I mean, as they're taking their shoes off, they're thinking, where is that basket? Where is that basket? My mom wants me to put it in the basket. I've paid money for my shoes. And all of a sudden, that thought just slips away. They don't know where it went. But the shoes just go right on the floor because they're thinking about something else. Their brains don't even totally absorb until they are much, much older. 
So it's not that the kids don't want to. Sometimes they just can't. Sometimes they just don't care enough. But regardless of that, it is not about you. Your parenting is about them. And if we could acknowledge our parenting is about our children, not about their response to us, we are going to be so much more patient because our pride will never be affected. When we're parenting for them, it is for them. These people remember that we like. It is for them and it's for their future. Proverbs, which is a book of Proverbs of wisdom, not promises, but Proverbs, it says if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. There's a lot of pronouns in that word. They, is, that, is they a pronoun? Please, here's my problem with Hebrew. I don't even know English grammar. <laughs> so the guy's like, let's tell my table. The guy's like, this is a long A sound. I was like, how long does an A sound? What does a long A even sound like? <clears throat> so anyway, the word they in that verse is about your kid. It's not about you. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. They are going to depart from you 100%. They won't depart from the way they should go if that's what you have been training them to do, if that's what you've been pouring into them. So parenting is not about how um, you are reflected in your kids. It's about how they're doing. So if our focus is on them, our pride will not be hurt if they're not responding to us in the way we think they should. It's, it's a peace that can come in, in us that allows us to say we're doing the right thing in the right way. They may not be able to hear it today or in this season of their life, but we're going to speak the truth and then we're going to be silent beside them and incredibly proximate. Even though you're not talking, you should be next to your kids. Other than cooking for them, you should be hanging out with them. That is the most important thing you can do, and you have to be patient when you hang out with them, because if you're in their room, it may not look or smell the way you want it to, but you need to be with them, and if, the, if they're boys, they're going to be watching dumb things or playing dumb games, but you need to be with them. You need to care about what they're doing, but you don't need to ask bad questions. You just need to hang out with them, so they know you could be anywhere, and you're choosing to be there. It is a great and freeing space for them. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that I love. It says, what do you have that you did not first receive? And if you did receive it, why do you act as if you didn't? God is really clear to say, you didn't get this for free either. You didn't earn any of this. Let's give, let's have some patience. You didn't get here overnight. God gave you this journey and he has been patient with you. Can you hand that patience to others? impatience, our impatience is rooted in our pride. And it's not fun to think about. It's uncomfortable to hear. I know that. But I can tell you if I've learned anything in parenting, it's patience is the most important thing I can give my kids, um, which means I don't need to keep talking. I don't need to finish their statements. I just need to sit with them. I need to let them be who they are in that moment and let it be okay. All right. I know you got questions with that. I know you're like, no, 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 no. How about this? What about that? What do you guys think? Questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, thanks. All right, so in your scenario, it's hard for the kids not being kind to themselves, right. to each other. Do you just sit there and marinate in it? Like, what right. are you doing in that <laughs> I'm going to my happy place. Have you ever been in an MRI tube? <laughs> 
So she said, what are you doing? They are not being nice to each other. Okay, always boundaries. Right, yeah, they're not going to learn. They are not going to learn. There are some things that they're not going to learn at certain ages. And I don't mean to be facetious. I really do know that. We manage sibling rivalries. We do not control them. Sibling rivalries are how they learn to interact with people. That's the natural give and take. I remember when my sister, I had two sisters, and um, one was really close to my age. And my dad kept saying, hey, I had these aunties. They loved each other. And I was like, yeah, but she just stole my shirt. <laughs> Just, I was wearing it. <laughs> and it was just like, <clears throat> but, and I remember my dad trying to just control it, but it was not to be controlled, it was to be managed. So boundaries are important. Physical boundaries are the most important thing we need to set with our kids. Physical boundaries, and if you have sons, trust me, and even if you're a single mom, trust me even more, physical boundaries are one of the first things you set when your kids are looking eye to eye with you. You say, here's the deal, and this is an all seriousness, gang. Um, we never physically intimidate each other or me. So you don't, that means you don't stand in a doorway. That means you don't stand in a hallway. That means you don't block someone physically with your body. It means you don't push someone when you walk by the hallway. You have to set those boundaries really early, and those cannot, not, not be changed. So physical boundaries are very important. They don't touch each other. But the fact that they're annoyed with each other is very normal, and it's not something we're necessarily going to fix in that moment. We believe that when there is peace and calm, we have somehow done a good job. That isn't necessarily true. Maybe they're just peace and calm. Maybe they're just really tired. We cannot relate our performance as a mom to their behavior. And if we can do that and get the pride out of it, we can be so much more patient. We can redirect with questions, start them on something different, or we can just, you know, let it sit for a minute. You guys want it? Let's, who wants to do the radio station first? Who gets one song first? Who gets the other song? You know, whatever it is, <clears throat> redirect as needed. But sometimes it's just a hard day. But set boundaries without question. The, the craziness can't go on physically. Um, and, and without question, words are also important. We had rules on words. They weren't allowed to say bad words. Um, they weren't even allowed to say unkind words, which means like suck. They didn't get to say that. They didn't get to say all those like kick your butt, those kind of things. I'm sorry, I'm saying it. This is not being recorded. My kids will never hear this, right? Um, but like words were, but just the frustration that they felt and even some of the, uh, don't try to solve it is I guess the best thing to say. Does that make sense? Let's do one more for this one. Yes, thanks. You're talking about boundaries. What happens when you have friends whose kids are not disciplined? And they come in, whether they beat up on your kids, those kinds of things. And in the past, because they're close friends, we just didn't have them over. Because they just, it was so uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. So friends coming over and behaving in a different way than your family system behaves. Um, here, here's the rule I think that is really sound. When they're at your house eating your food for sure, <laughs> breathing your air, <laughs> messing up your carpet, um, they follow the, fa the family rules. And so the best way to do that is have your kids give instruction, um, not you. So when the boys, the thing was, man, it's hard not to use bad words when you're 12, 13-year-old boys, but they knew they didn't get to do it, so when their friends came over, they didn't get to say it either. So the boys would be pretty quick to say, hey, you don't say that word here. They don't play those games there. You know, 
like video games and stuff like that. So let your kids reinforce the rules, but if they continually don't do that, um, then I think you're right not to have them over. That's your choice. I mean, you don't have to parent those kids, and that's not going to ever go over well. But have your kids know that this is how we act here, and it's not like we're better, but this is the house rules here. Um, whenever anyone came over and Cameron was doing something crazy, and those kids responded in a way that didn't create dignity for Cameron, my boys naturally figure that out. The word retard, when it was ever used, my boys would like just about kick that kid out of the house. Um, that's such a strong word. And when you have a special needs child, that word, the BBS has such a strong feeling about that that they changed mental retardation to intellectual disability. That's how much they wanted people not to use that word as a slang term to classify a whole group of people um, in a negative way. So I absolutely know what you're talking about, and I would just say, um, have your kids be clear, but if they're repeat offenders, just um, make that adjustment. We're going to do here and then there, and then we'll move on. Yes? Um, so you were saying um, some days are just, you pointed over there, and you said some days are just bad days. What would be, what is that definition when you were saying sometimes you just can't fix it? Yeah. And some days are bad days. What would that mean? Just the way you said bad, it makes me feel like you know. You just know. Like, when you say bad, there's just, like, these pictures in your mind, right? There's just days that are hard, right? We have bad days. You're up, man. I wake up, and within 15 seconds, I just know, I hate my life. There's not anything in my closet I'm going to like to wear. I already know before I look in the mirror, my hair is stupid today. It's just like, we have bad days. And when our kids have bad days, and the moon doesn't align right, and there's two of them having a bad day, or heaven forbid, four... I would just go to bed at night saying, if Cameron wasn't my worst kid today, I had a bad day. It's like, if, if any of my kids took more focus than Cameron, this was a bad day. So we just need to know there are days that are just tough. And honestly, one of the things I do with people in my office when they're parenting and having just a hard season, no matter the age of the kid, some things we do is just go through a routine. Say, so tell me what your week looks like. Tell me um, how many hours, and once you break it down for people, they really only have like 45 minutes with their kid every day. I mean, I'm serious. By the time you get them to school, and you get them home, you feed them, you bathe them, and you, you put them to bed, and you should put them to bed. Those beds are for a reason. Stick those kids in them. <laughs> no one can parent that many hours with patients. I'm talking cut your day down. Get those kids in bed. They need to sleep like 20 hours of the day. Um, they really need to sleep a lot. And when the days are harder, don't make it worse. When you're having a bad day, don't say, when we get home, by the way, we're cleaning the house. <laughs> I looked under your bed today, and I was horrified. It was like a scary movie under there. It, the clown from it, was under your bed. That's what was happening. So <clears throat> don't make it worse. When you're having a bad day, surprise them with something good. Do something that elicits grace in them. But when you're having a bad day, end it earlier. Don't try to solve it. Don't keep talking. For sure don't keep talking. Just say, God, make me mute for the next few hours. Even God, I'm not joking, Exodus 33, even God said, we're having a bad day, folks. I just gave the Ten Commandments, like this epic moment, and they're building a golden calf down there. And literally, he told Moses, I cannot trust myself with them. If I step one foot in that desert with them, I cannot trust what I'll do to them. So you go ahead with my spirit and that cloud thing. I'm just going to stay here because I will smite them all if I go with them. And so it's just like, I can't trust myself today. Mom's going to go to the bathroom again. Just like, y'all be okay. I put the knives, I'm taking the knives with me. Just like, 
Give yourself a break. When it's a hard day, it's a hard day. Don't make it worse. And ladies, we know how to make it worse. We are queens at making it worse. And y'all that are married, you really know how to make that worse. Oh my word. He comes home in a bad mood. You're like, okay. Do you want to talk about our days? You know, just, we just can do so many bad things to make what's hard, like impossible. Um, and we are going to move on to how we do that for ourselves. But I want to answer your one question. This last one. Yes. Right. Right. So that would be a great thing to say. And you could say that to me and I might understand. But if you say that to anyone under 25, that thought's going to get lost from the pillow thing. Um, here's the best way to say that. Tell me what your favorite snack is. And I want to make sure I have it every single time your kids, friends come over. Make your house the coolest house on the block. I figured if I'm, I don't care if my house got a mess and I don't care if it cost me more money. I wanted to know where my kids were. And so I would, I would, like, I wasn't controlling in that sense, but I just would say, hey, tell me what you guys want to eat, and I'll make sure I always have it here, and then create some softening of the rules. Don't make the dumb rules, make the big rules. Does that make sense? I always say, with, especially with boys, the widest boundaries possible, but like cements mortar walls. Once they get to the edge, <laughs> it's a pump, you know? It's like there's a stopping place for them, but push it out, for goodness sakes. They don't have to have their face clean all the time. You know, just like push the boundaries as far as you can, but make them solid, but make your home a place where they want to be. And if it's not, if there's like, when I became divorced, it was the next week. I mean, this is heartbreaking truth. Um, my kids, this was always the home where people were. Within a week, they were always at Coach Jane's house, which is right down the street. Coach Jane's and I had taught together at a previous high school. He was a strong Christian, a coach at the high school. I was so thankful. He and I talked. I talked to his wife and I said, thank you. I see what's going on here. Thank you for just being a safe place for my kids. So we had an understanding too. So know where your kids are um, and, and make sure it's for the most part at home. They, all the football team came to my house on Friday night. I probably made 50 tacos after games and I was fine with it. It wasn't the whole team, it was the line, which is like the whole team because they're all the big guys. Um, <laughs> But that way I knew what they were doing. They told me if they were going to go do something dumb and I would find the smartest kid in the group and I would hold him by his shoulders and said, I know you're going to do this tonight. I'm counting on you. I'm not looking at my sons right now because they don't have as much common sense as you do, Blake. Blake, make sure no one dies tonight. And, you know, it's just like, you know, make sure if they're going to have fun that you know what it is and that it's reasonable. But you got to have trust. If you're a nerdy mom that cannot hear anything, ladies, they're not going to tell you anything. Um... It, I sat with my son, <laughs> sorry, it's just true, it's just true. You've, I'm not cool, there's nothing cool about me at all. My kids tell me all the time, mom, don't ever try to be funny. Don't ever act like you're cool, especially at fellowship where everyone is funny and cool. Um, but just let your kids tell you things without reacting. And when you do react, just say, God, control my face right now. <laughs> but my kids would call it out, they go, mom, you look afraid right now. I was like, <clears throat> I'm not afraid. <laughs> there is no fear in love. And I love you, son. I'm just not sure about this girl. <laughs> um, 
So just really being able to be rooted, and that's such a good truth. We just have to be so approachable. And we don't know it. We don't know if we're not. I sat with a family yesterday. This gal's a therapist. She came in, and I was like, oh, man. Sitting in my office as a therapist, I'm a therapist, but what I do is pastoral counseling, so it is super interactive. And I just start by saying, this is different than what you do. Not saying I do what you do, but in the midst of it, she's like, girls, don't I? I do that, don't I? And they're like, you don't, mom. And she's like, I don't talk very much, do I? And they're like, you talk all the time, mom. And so you have blind spots. Your kids do not. Your kids are honest. Make sure you can have feedback from them. Uh, not disrespectful feedback, but honest feedback. Okay? All right. Let me move on to the next point because I think this will help explain it. Sorry, you guys. We really could talk about this one a lot. Okay. But I want to talk at least about this for sure so we hit this part. Be patient with yourself. Your patience with others is directly related to your patience with yourself. Um, if you're struggling losing your temper with your kids or your family or your friends, look in the mirror. Your frustration with yourself is at an apex. You will never be more angry with someone than you are with yourself. Um, it is, you are struggling to believe God forgives you, so you don't forgive anyone else. You're struggling to believe God, you're okay with God, so you're not okay with anyone else. You're struggling to believe that God is pleased with you, so you are not pleased with anyone else. So look in the mirror. This is your biggest truth. When you're talking about patience is better than pride, pride creates things like fear, guilt, shame, control. All of those are rooted in pride. It's like when you come to a counselor and you tell me what's wrong, I'll say it's pride. Just like when you go to a doctor and say what's wrong, they say it's stress, anxiety, depression. I'm going to tell you it's pride. Um, because almost everything, the root of everything, and I'm not comparing the two to say depression is pride. I'm just saying the doctor is going to say that as prevalently as I tell people that what's wrong in their relationships is pride in their own hearts. And it is so hard and deceptive the way it shows up is pretty amazing, but as soon as I know it's there, it's my favorite moment. Because I think, man, I don't want that. There's nothing in me that wants pride. And so it's the easiest thing for me to own, but owning pride is something we have to be convinced we need to do. And let me give you, this is the easiest way I can say it, and I just learned this in this fall in my Old Testament course. I came into that course, talk about pride, I came into that course, and I even told my boys, I'm feeling pretty good about intro to Old Testament. I sat in the first class and I was like, oh my goodness, there's way more to the Bible than just reading the Bible. And I was like, this 23-year-old was sounding much smarter than I was, and they were using words I'd never heard before. So I was reset pretty quickly. But I loved what I learned in that class. One of the first things I learned was there's a very different account in Genesis 1 and 2 of creation, which we've all kind of read, and it's kind of like a review, but it's a little different. When I actually, my first paper I wrote for Old Testament class was the difference in the creation narratives. How did God show up different? The first one, everything God created, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Um, and then at the end of the time, he rested. Second chapter, he created, 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 and all of a sudden he starts saying, this is not good. And it was different. God was like in heaven speaking in creation, first chapter. Second chapter, he was among the earth, creating, intimately breathing life into man. And what I loved about that chapter is this is God talking. And instead of chapter one where it's like everything he does is good, he sits in his creation and said, this, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. There is a problem here. I need to solve it. This is God talking. 
why would I ever get to the end of the day and say, ah, oh, I was good today. This is good. I created this today. I'm going to speak into it. I made the heavens and the earth. I actually made a cake as well. This is good. <laughs> I'm going to rest. I mean, that's ridiculous. We should sit in our life every day and say, whoa, this is not good. There is something here that's not good. What if I own it? What if I don't say, wow, there's something here that doesn't feel right. I wonder who's to blame for it. This is the worst, ladies. I'm not even going to look at you right now because I know that's how much that is just sounds horrible. What if we look at our life and say, I sense this is not working out right now. And what if we say, what part of that do I need to hold? When I sit with someone, I'm starting to take notes. I'm starting to take notes. And then I look up at the person. I say, what part of this are you going to own? And when they say, uh, none of it, I go, okay, we're going to start there then. I can't believe you're that honest, but thank you. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> this is why I don't charge for counseling. <laughs> it's really bad. Isn't it cool? How cool is my church that they pay me a full salary as a therapist so I can give counseling away for free all day long? It is a dream. I am so thankful. So if I see God sitting in his creation, looking around at what he made, and he, him basically saying, we're not done yet. There's more to do here. What if that was our approach to our life? What if we sat in our life and saw that there was something that was just off? Instead of saying, oh, well, this is because of my husband because he doesn't look like he used to, doesn't act like he used to, doesn't act like the other guy that I saw at church. That is so wonderful. He's not either. This is because of my kids. They are to blame. They are to blame for my frustration. It's their attitude. It's the behavior. It's the fact that they will never sleep. Whatever age it is, whatever season it is, if the answer to our question about what's wrong in our life starts with someone else, we've got to sit with that a minute. And that is an uncomfortable seat to sit in, but it is a great seat. I, when I think about it, I don't think, what have I done wrong? I think, what else needs to be done? That is rain, right? <laughs> I don't care about the East Coast. No one's dealing with these conditions. <laughs> this is horrible. You should tell someone. Someone should call CNN. They need to get the cameras out here. There's like a lot of water. <laughs> Stunning. Um, so that was a good moment, right? For everyone to laugh because you were all like, mm, when's the question time coming up? Um, <clears throat> when something is off in our lives, when something feels wrong, let's put ourselves back in the car. Um, when we're sitting there thinking, all right, what have I done wrong with these kids that they cannot stand each other? Or what do I need to do to solve it? What if I say this? Everyone say something nice about your brother. It's like the worst thing ever. It's the worst thing you could ever do. I remember only worse than that was one thing I did when my boys were probably 13, 14, freshmen in high school, it was Saturday night. We used to have a Saturday night service at the church I used to work at. And I remember standing in their room like this, my hand on their dresser, I look imposing. I'm not going to lie. I'm, to, I'm a kind of big girl. So I, I look imposing at this moment and self-righteous, right? Because I just got off the phone with my boss and I had told her in very, very victim-like terms, 
Carol, I should be coming in tonight, but my kids, I, if I leave them here, it will be like the story of the Old Testament. They will fight until they kill each other because no one was here to stop them. So literally, Carol, I need to stay home tonight. I was a little dramatic, but I was just like, my kids cannot get along. I can, she's like, fine, Becky, I have two boys too. Um, so, but then I go in the boys' room, my hand on the dresser like this, and I go to them. Okay, guys, here's the deal. I can't do my job tonight, and I work at a church. That means I can't be there to greet people because you two guys are not getting along. So I have to stay home. I already called Carol and told her I'm going to stay home because you guys don't get along, so I can't go to work tonight. And they looked at me like, okay, so what are we going to have for dinner then? <laughs> it's like, that did not impact them at all. That wasn't there. They were not like, Mom, I'm so sorry. Did our behavior cost you a night at work? <laughs> Mom, please, what can I do? They would not do that. That's not parenting. That's not their fault. It's like them being them. And there's a lot of solutions, and I probably chose the right one, but they didn't need to hear that little soliloquy about it. Um, I just needed to be able to say something's wrong here. Something is not good in this creation, in this moment. What should I do? What needs to be added? What needs to be taken away? I just need to be more proximate. I just need to be here and I don't need to make anyone feel guilty because nothing's wrong. Is that a great thing to believe? We don't have to create a problem every single time something is not right yet. It's just not right yet. Like Don said, you've got a lot more conversations to have about those shoes. You have a lot more days to live with those kids. Be patient, most of all with yourself. What things about your life are you displeased with today? Did three flash into your mind? Probably 20, and that's the problem. You cannot fix 20 things. Whenever I think about something like that, I do have like a bunch of things. I remember sitting with my therapist after my divorce, and she'd say, um, Becky, are you getting any A's in your life right now? And I'd say, well, I don't know if I'm getting, maybe I'm getting a couple A's. And she goes, well, what are you getting A's in? Like, is it your job? Or is it your kids? Or, and she said, and how many classes are you currently taking in life? I was like, well, I've got 10 or 12 things I'm getting graded on right now by myself, and I'm not passing all of them. And she said, well, first of all, you're taking too many classes. You are, dis you are measuring yourself over too many areas. No one can be that good at that many things at one time. So cut down the things you measure yourself on and be able to sit and say with God that this one area of my life I can lean into and work on right now. And it will not always be the same for anyone. And it won't be the same for you in every season. God is specific. He is not general. If you feel at any moment like you're the worst mom ever, that is not God's voice in your head. That's you. It's not the enemy either. That's your voice, rooted in pride, giving yourself zero patience. But if you think, I, went, I go to bed tonight feeling like I lost my temper with my kids, that's God's voice. That's God's voice saying, okay, what are we going to do about that tomorrow? What if we got up before your kids tomorrow? <laughs> what if you didn't try to get every second you could in bed? What if you started before them? And what if, sorry. <laughs> That's like A number one, ladies. If, you, if your kids wake you up in the morning, you should just put that pillow on top of your face and say, we're staying in bed all day, guys, because you're going to win today. I'm already behind. I will never catch you all day long. Just say, this is a jammy day. I give up. Because you're done. You are done. Um, well, you got to wake up before your kids. Ladies, wake up before your kids. 
Do not sleep in. You were teenagers. You got to do that. If you didn't do that then, I'm sorry. This is not your time. This is not your time. You get up, you do stuff before they wake up so they feel like, oh, mom's ahead. <laughs> we're, we better listen. If they wake you up, guess who the parent is for the day? It is not you. You got to be ahead of your kids. So when you have that specific thing in your mind that you need to fix, you need to do something about, that's where God's going to support and help you. Here's a super simple way. Ah, Don, why don't we have more time? Okay. Um, I just, thanks for that answer. That's good. Um, so, so here's the thing. I'll give this to you quick. Before you change anything significant in your life, choose one thing. Don't choose a bunch. You have to say, am I ready, am I willing, and am I able to change this? Am I ready, willing, and able? And then scale it. Between one to 10, how ready am I to change this? Okay, let's, put it, let's make it easy. Let's talk about our health. <laughs> so I have wanted to change my health for a long time. Since my divorce, I'm still 100 pounds above my normal adult weight. At some point, the scale is going to tip, literally, and say, this is my normal adult weight. So I have to say, at one point I was less than this, but this is my normal adult weight, because it's been like 16 years. But I seem to not be able, unless I think the guy really is going to grab me, to care about how, I, how much I weigh, because I figure, well, they, you know, they have uh, bigger clothes. <laughs> I can solve my problem right there. And then you can wear different kinds. And so it all works well. And all the jeans have elastic now. So I'm just thinking, this is God's providence. Um, so I don't really care that much about my health. And the other thing that's a bummer for me personally is that I have great genetics. So I go to the doctor and he looks at my blood work. He's like, you didn't earn any of this. My blood work is still like when I was an athlete. It's crazy. My resting heart rate, everything is just fine. And so I said, please give me an ultimatum. He goes, well, I'd like to, but you're fine. <laughs> it's like, literally, you're okay. And I go, well, that's not ever helping me. But, um, and you're not 6'5 and single either, so we're not even having a conversation. I'm just going to go to In-N-Out again. Um, so I'm not ready, willing, and able to do anything with that piece. So I'm, I'm okay until I am ready to do that. And you can all tell me how I should go gluten-free in a few minutes, but I won't listen. Um, so, but what I was recognizing over the summer was I was about ready to start school and I was on a solitaire kick. I was averaging about a good 20% of wins on my solitaire on my phone and I was really rolling on my solitaire games. And then I realized, Becky, you wanted to start school. You wanted to end up with a PhD so you could teach. You cannot play solitaire and do that. So I had to say, okay, so how ready am I? I've been waiting to go start to school for a long time. I'm ready for this. On a scale of one to 10, I'm like at an eight. How willing am I? I'm really, I'm paying a lot of money for this school. I obviously am volitionally into this. Between one and 10, I'm like at a six or seven. How able am I? And I shut the phone down, deleted the app. I am very able and capable of not playing solitaire. This is an easy one to give up because if I don't give up this, I'm not going to lean into that. And it sounds really dumb, but sometimes it's a simple solution that's not going to cost us anything. Um, we just need to say, okay, so my habits are keeping me from doing what I should do. How sick of it am I? On a scale of one to 10, am I a five? Okay, well, how come I'm not a four? What increases my desire to change? Does that make sense? Write this word down. Motivational interview. It's two words, sorry. Motivation. See, I'm not good at grammar. I don't even know when words stop. Um, <laughs> motivational interview. 
is a type of therapy that they created about 15, 20 years ago. It was created actually for police officers and parole officers to work with people getting out of incarceration to help them make decisions. I find it the best absolute way to process behavioral change that I've ever seen. You will put that in YouTube. You will see the most boring PowerPoint you've ever seen with the single best material you'll ever read about parenting and about just thinking for that. So that is what I would give you as a commercial because I really want to sit in for a minute with questions on being patient with yourself, with yourself. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yes, over there, thanks, and we'll go here next. Right. You did have a bad history. Maybe you did have things that were not godly in your life or whatever. And then you start picking yourself up with it and you start thinking of yourself less than and that there's no hope. But in a way, it's like you're not giving the Lord the ability to forgive you or to heal you or to make you different. Right. So perfect. So that the idea of reverse pride. So any kind of pride, it's still pride. And any time, the easiest way to find that out is how many times was I mentioned in that sentence? Um, when you're the subject of most of your thoughts, then you're sitting in pride, even if you're just self-loathing like crazy. So self-loathing is another way to say, I should be better than this. No, you shouldn't. None of us are very good. We're a mess. We should be a mess. That's why God sent his son to die for us, because we desperately needed him. My favorite thing is when someone says, God only gave those boys to you because he knew you could handle it. I said, no, he didn't. He gave these boys to me. I don't know what in the world he was doing, but all I know is there was no way I can handle this. He gave these boys to me so I would be dependent on him. He did not think there was anything special about me that would allow me to raise these kids. In fact, I had so much abuse growing up that my therapist sat with me and she said, you're the worst mom ever for Cameron because you never see a red flag. For you to be hurt by your son is just like a repetition for your, the rest of your life. You're just like, oh, well then, life just always includes someone hitting me. She said, no, you're not uniquely prepared to raise Cameron. You're missing all of the really big signs you should be seeing. So it's not about us being so equipped to live our life. It's about us being hopefully equipped to say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so when we are the ones always fretting about what we're doing or not doing, that's still rooted in pride. It's still an assumption that we should be something we're not. We sh should be, um, um, we are like filthy rags. Um, that's who we are. Our best, at our best, we're not close. And if we really keep remembering that we're saved because we couldn't do it on our own, then we could say, wow, then I shouldn't expect that I'll do it on my own. Um, I shouldn't get to the day, end of the day and say, I can't believe I didn't do that list. I thought I should put all those things on my list. I make notes every day, the notes on your app. And I just, as soon as I see I'm not going to reach those notes, and trust me, it's not that I'm lazy. Ladies, I'm doing full-time seminary student and full-time school and doing like five other things too, except exercising. That's not one of them. But <laughs> those five things are really important. Um, so it's not like I do nothing. But at the end of the day, when I see I'm not going to hit something, I just take it off and move it to the next day. And that's full of grace. Those are those grace moments. I want to pad that list to say, I'm gonna, Becky, what were you thinking? There's no way anyone, Superman could have done it. Martha Stewart, like nobody good could have done this list. 
you're doing fine. And sometimes I just look through that list and say, Becky, look what you did this week. This is good because I need that reminder that I'm okay with that. That's good. Over here. Yes. Kind of piggybacks on what she was saying, kind of that constant, um, the history of things you've done bad, so just not feeling good enough. And then when your child says, I'm not good. Right. And so how do you break that chain? That, how do you, of course, of course, we're redeemed. Right. But keeping that so strong in the forethought, like it's a constant, you did this, you did that, right. you did this, for myself, and now I'm hearing my daughter, she gets in trouble, and she'll say, I'm not good, mommy. I'm right. Bad. Okay. Like, oh. Right. Oh, you're going to hate this answer. Buffy, you asked the question, right? <laughs> you raised your hand and everything, and I called on you. Her question was, if you find your own lack of self-esteem being multiplied in your child, if you're, if you're hearing them say the very things you think, like, I'm not good, that's why you're doing this, and she's like, oh, I failed a test, I'm not good. So here's what, I had that very thing happen to me. So I was, my childhood was, was rough. Everything was around sports, everything was around performance. If I didn't do well, that was bad for me. And so it was rough, but I never did that with my kids. I never repeated that. So when my son, my oldest son came home from his game once, he was so upset with himself about how he didn't score. I remember going to my therapist and saying, why would he ever think that? She goes, Becky, because you still think that and you still show him that. Every day you let him know that you are a perfectionist and that if you don't get things done, you are upset with yourself. You've never said a word to him about his behavior, but he's just watching you and repeating what you do. And Trevor at the time was probably 11 or 12. I reversed that so quickly and basically get healthy so your kids see health instead of they see you perpetuating. Even though you don't do it with them, you're doing it with yourself and it's affecting them. And Trevor is like, I'm gonna see him in a couple weeks. He is the most free version of me. I, I sit with him for a weekend, I come home feeling better because he's just a free kid. He's just okay with himself. And there's such a projection that's different than I know I project at times. And I know we struggle to project, especially um, if we have had some dysfunction. And trust me, if you've had dysfunction, you are in the majority, not the minority. When I have a person come in my office that's like, yeah, I had a really good childhood, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Did you grow up on the moon? <laughs> Where'd you come from? Is that, are your parents in like a hall of fame somewhere? It's just like, it's such an aberration. Um, good, let's do one or two more questions. Yes, oh, sorry. Yeah, over here, thanks. Oh, dumbest thing ever. <laughs> Did you get a flat tire yesterday? Because I had a nail in my tire yesterday, and I was like, God, I have never prayed for patience. And I, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, a child who is also super like me, who is also very impatient and proud on the other side of that. So what I'm, what I'm wondering is, do I reward, even if I'm trying real hard to be patient, and I'm doing well and feeling good about myself, do I ever reward his lack of patience with grace? Do I... You, you're getting yourself in so much trouble right now. This question is so telling. Right. It's a muffin. So... I'm so sorry. Don, Kelly, please have me back. I'm so sorry. I'm not being silly on purpose, but it is a muffin if you give him a muffin. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so here's the biggest question you want to ask. Here's, here's the question I've asked over and over again. 
How do I serve my kids without creating masters? Right? How do I do that? Here's the way you do it. You just do it. And there's a tilt, because I swear, I served my kids, and I really did as much grace as I could find. I really did. I laid out as much patience, and I thought, they are in control. They're in control. They're, I mean, then all of a sudden, they weren't. All of a sudden, there was a turn, and they began to demonstrate the things I'd shown them. It takes the maturity piece. We don't reward bad behavior. Trust me, um, if you knew my kids, if you knew them at any stage, you would know, I didn't tolerate that. But it's not that. It's the difference between being silly and bad. And, and it's the difference between what we're annoyed by and God's annoyed by. So I would sometimes, this is the other narrative I'd say when I'm driving, getting impatient, I'd say, God, is this bothering you or is it just me? <laughs> they're like, is this really bad or is it just like I have no tolerance for this today? So I think we need to recognize God has so much more patience with us than we'll ever imagine. We are to give that. We are to give grace. We are to be aligned with God in our parenting. We are not perfect parents by any means, but I absolutely, it's not about reward. It's about this interaction that's honest, full of love, very organic. You don't have to try to figure out what should I say right now. It's like, what feels right to be able to give him out of love and like that I have for him? Um, not what I would say to myself, but I would say to the little girl inside of me who's still like, mm, you did worse than that. Does that make sense? We are so harsh with ourselves. At this stage of our lives, when we're tall, <laughs> we're just harsh with ourselves. So it's that ability to say, God's given me grace. I want to hand grace out. Um, but I'm not going to let them behave badly. I'm really, it's not about that. But it's, it's a fine line. You want to, what you really want to do is catch them being good. So your normal pattern of behavior, I mean, I'm telling you guys, wake up before your kids, start the day right, you're going to get ahead of a lot of behaviors. If you're on top of things and say, hey, and I'm not, the biggest thing I ever did, as I said, this is my kids' time when I'm with them, zero other things happen. If you're trying to get laundry done, if you're trying to get phone calls done, if you're trying to get work done, if you're on, heaven forbid, your phone, don't ever let me see you on your phone when you have a kid in your hand. It's like the worst. So when you're with your kids, if you're really just with your kids, their behaviors will cut in half because they know they're not trying to get you off of something to pay attention to them. If you are just with your kids when they're awake, um, that cuts down a lot of things because they're not trying to pull you from something. But if you're trying to accomplish something on your kid's time, no way, that's why you put them to bed. You put them to bed and then you do stuff. But Mar, our biggest, if you think back at the moments you lost your temper most, it's like you were trying to finish something while your kids were doing something that annoyed you. If you took that part out of the equation and said, when my kids are up, that's their time, I'll figure out how to get my work done at other times. And then you are actually more aligning with your kid, and then you're hanging out with them more, and you're even playing with them. All of those things are great. You will be surprised by how much you'd say you cut down the nose. When I had triplets that were a year old, I took every no away from my house. I took every no off the table. I literally closed the doors and gates. I boarded off the fireplace. It was like not, a, I'm a designer now, so it didn't look like what I would try to create in terms of warmth now. But all I did was take away the nose. And so I didn't have to say no every other word so that we could just play within the boundaries. Everything was fine. And then we got to explore and play and I didn't have to be mean or a policeman. I could just be their mom. 
and set that kind of feel. And then as they got older, I just added a few things back and it was fine. But it's not like my kids would never know how to not touch something. They would just know that within what was clearly a boundary, they got to do whatever in that space. And if we would just not think that we could accomplish everything on the moon while our kids were up, if we just did stuff with them and then left the other stuff till later, we could do it. Include them in every bit of cleanup, all of that, that make it fun though, make it so much fun. Um, but there's a part of us, sorry, I really, I'm, <laughs> we just need a lot more time. I want to make sure I'm being clear, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I am trying to be, I'm trying to say to you, I think we can cut down our need to correct if we would set up our day better so that we're not expecting them to be patient while we're trying to accomplish something and just say at every age, I'm not just talking about toddlers, I'm talking about teenagers. Man, I needed to be with my kids more when they were teenagers than when they were three. They just needed me to be able to hang out with them because then you have, they're going to talk all of a sudden. It's a really good moment. So just be near your kids um, and enjoy being near with your kids. Um, I want to close this out because I really want you to have some time in your groups to discuss this, but I want to close it out a little bit by saying our patience with God is also a piece we need to think about. Our patience with God has to do with our ability to understand that he's doing things correctly. He's doing things on his time. One of the things I loved about that verse, Ecclesiastes says, the end is better than the beginning and patience is better than pride. The end is better than the beginning is my ability to say, God, I am being patient with you. God doesn't have to apologize for anything, but he owns the fact that life is harder than we want it to be. It's not harder than he thinks it should be. It's harder than we want it to be. But the end is better than the beginning, which means all the time we're looking at things that seem off to us, God is doing something we don't see. He's doing something we do not see. And, and it wasn't like anything, trust me, my home looked and sounded just like yours. But there's something God does when we're faithful, and there's something God does when our kids are faithful, and they're working towards something, even though it looks like they're knuckleheads. And I'm talking knuckleheads. My boys are football players. They would, they would put their helmets on and just knock each other around. Knuckleheads. But God's doing something when you don't see it happening. The end is better than the beginning, which means the end of the story is being written still. You do not see it as they're growing. You just don't. You have to trust God. And you have to behave and continue to do the things you know are faithful to do. Um, and you're going to make mistakes, and the next day you're going to say, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to start this again. Every single day. That's a faithful mom. You believe in your kids. You are the only person who does. You are the only person who will believe in them their entire lives. I know the end is better than the beginning, and I'm not even close to the end. My kids are not close to the end, but I got a glimpse of the end of my role very clearly three times in the last year and a half. When I watched my sons watch their wife walk down the aisle, I was in that corner seat sitting next to my ex-husband and his wife and all of it, all of it. If you have an ex-husband, you know there's all of it. It's when you want to do the grabbing. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, um, sorry. Don, I'm so sorry. 
Um, it's the rain. I'm just disoriented. Um, I'm sitting there and I'm watching my sons. Every one of them did this. Every one of them teared up like a freaking little baby. I teared up watching this woman walk down the aisle and I thought, God, I don't know how you use this mess to create that thing, this moment. This guy is so ready for this next stage of life. He is full of capacity. He's full of kindness and care, and he loves that woman. I don't know how you made that out of this mess, but the end is better than the beginning. It is a process. It takes a lot of time. When I watched my boys watch their wives walk down the aisle, all I could say was, this is exactly how it was supposed to be. This is exactly how it was supposed to be. I would have loved to have my husband sitting next to me. I would have loved that life. I didn't get that life, but my boys didn't lose. And that's what you need to know. There's a lot of things that you would not choose about your life. Your kids are not going to lose, but you have to be faithful. You have to be faithful. You have to trust God. You can't play games with that. You have to be honest. And in that space, God is so faithful. And I watch my kids, and I knew in that moment there is no way they got robbed. There is no way they are less than. They are ready for that space. The end is better than the beginning. God knows what he's doing. He is creating something we couldn't create on our own. We have to trust him. And when you trust him, you don't have to wait to see that happen. You can know it's going to be okay. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these women as we've spent a lot of time talking, even laughing, and obviously crying. God, we sit in this truth, and it's not an easy one for us. This place is hard because sometimes, God, we make it hard. This place is hard because for sure the world makes it hard. But God, you don't want to make this harder than it is. You want to come alongside us, comfort our hearts, give us peace. We will be kept in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast because, God, we trust you. We do not trust us. We do not look around and say, God, these kids are lucky to have me. No, we say they are lucky to have you through me, showing them what it means to be a one-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 25-year-old. God, I don't, want any, I don't want any of us to say our kids learned about you in spite of us. God, we want it to be because of us, because we were faithful. We didn't say anything smart. We didn't even do anything smart. God, we just depended on you open hands, God, to receive. In your name, amen. Bless your study around your table, ladies. <laughs>